Well, we're going to talk about being a servant today, and the servant of the week for me is Pastor Rich. And here's the reason. Pastor Rich loves to go to fast food places, and he always drops his business card in those bowls for free lunches and things of that nature. So, he won a lunch for 15 from Jersey Mike's, and he blessed our staff with that. And uh, brought that in. We don't have 15 on our staff, so we had some other people who were around, and we had a great time together. Then, on top of that, earlier this week, he won a Chipotle lunch. So that was for 10. So we had Jersey Mike's on Wednesday and Chipotle on Thursday. So I've asked Pastor Rich to designate 5% of his time just driving around and dropping his business cards. And I say, listen, the goal for you as a staff person is to at least provide three lunches per week. So you can be praying for Pastor Rich. But we love to be served, don't we? We love to be pampered. We love to be taken care of. But Jesus Christ said that he came to this earth not to be served, but to serve. That's what we're going to talk about today as we come close to finishing our Learning to Live Like Jesus series, studying different passages in the book of Matthew as we've gone throughout uh, this summer. Some great speakers have come in and helped us out, uh, but I've really enjoyed uh, this study, and I hope you have as well and learned many things uh, from it. So let's open up to Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 through 28. Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 through 28. And we're going to look at a very powerful passage and see what Jesus Christ taught about servanthood. We start out in verse 20. And the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons. Now, who are the sons of Zebedee? Well, we know they were James and John. They were called the sons of thunder. That's what Jesus called them. You kind of think of John as, I don't know, just more laid back, you know, being the closest one to Christ. But he was a son of thunder. <laughs> you know, he had a lot to say, a lot of opinions, and certainly we'll see that in this passage. And their mother's name was Salome. It's not mentioned here, but she is the mother. What's even more interesting, if you look at some of these passages, we'll find out more about her. Uh, these are passages from the scene of the crucifixion. We've got Matthew 27, 56. Among them, the people watching the crucifixion, were Mary Magdalene, a lot of Marys here, common name, Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's son. So that's Salome there at the end. Now let's look at another parallel passage in John 19. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother. That's Mary. His mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Now, who is the mother's sister? Well, I personally believe that it's Salome. I believe that Salome, the sons, uh, the mother of the of Zebedee, or excuse me, the, the, the wife of Zebedee, James and John's were her sons, and she was related to Jesus' mother Mary, which meant that James and John were cousins to Jesus Christ. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, and that gives us more understanding of what's going to happen uh, in this passage. So let's go back to the passage here now that we know a little more about Salome. And the mother of Zebedee's sons, James and John, came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down, asked a favor of him. What is it you want? He asked. She said, Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right hand and the other at your left in your kingdom. Well, that's an interesting request, isn't it? Don't you love moms always, you know, <laughs> trying to help you out, doing these type of favors, making the ask to get you benefits? Uh, uh, what did she mean? Well, if you look at Matthew chapter 19, just the chapter before that, you get a little insight into this, because Jesus had told his disciples, he said, I tell you the truth, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne... You who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes 
of Israel. So the disciples have been told, you're going to rule with me. So the question wasn't, who is going to rule? The question in the disciples' mind is who was going to sit next to Jesus Christ, the king. Back in that day, where you sat was very, very important. The closer you sat to the seat of power, the more powerful you were, the more respected and honored you were. So that's, that's what they were concerned about. They wanted the, the seat of power, so basically they got together with Salome, and they said, hey, let's go to Jesus and ask for these seats. Because if we don't do it, maybe some of the other disciples uh, will do it. So really what they were doing is they were manipulating the situation. They were trying to put Jesus Christ into a corner. They were asking Jesus Christ, please do this for us. And they were bringing the favorite aunt of Jesus, maybe. I don't know. Did Jesus have a favorite aunt? That's a theological question, right? <laughs> but uh, so she comes up and makes this request, and she honors Jesus by kneeling down to him. She's saying, hey, I believe in your kingdom. I believe you're the Messiah, and I want to make a request about your coming kingdom. So that was a good thing, is that she identified those things, but the bad thing is what she was asking about for her sons, the special placement uh, that we see here. Now, uh, we see... James and John doing what we do all the time. When we think about how we approach life, we have one of two attitudes. One is serve me. Serve me. Take care of me. At our house, <clears throat> when I'm sitting down on my favorite part of the sofa and I have my laptop on uh, my lap, uh, you know, I'll look for the remote. And I can't find the remote. I can't see it. Uh, and so sometimes I'll just wait till somebody passes by. Because this laptop is very heavy. Okay? And so I'll wait and I'll say, hey, could you grab the remote? And sometimes they'll just kind of look at me. But uh, usually I can, you know, manipulate them to give it to me. Uh, or find it. Wesley, our middle child, he, he's like a hunting dog when it comes to the remote. That kid can find a remote. Okay? But I am just so lazy. It's like, serve me. Take care of me. I need my remote so I can control the world. But I won't reach across the sofa uh, to get it. Now, what happened this past week is that the volume wasn't working. On, uh, this is the original remote. The volume wasn't working uh, that well. It was still working a little bit, but you had to really push it hard. And I'm not doing that. So I call Comcast, and I said, I want a new remote. And uh, they said, okay, we'll send one to you. And you know what? They sent me two. Well, <laughs> okay. And they didn't want this one back. So now I have three remotes. And you know what I do? Is I hide it in the sofa, one of them. Okay? Just so I can always have my remote. Now, I'm not totally selfish. I put the old one in the sofa. Okay, I don't want to restrict our family from having the best remotes. <laughs> That's just a silly illustration about how we're always thinking about... I don't want to forget this. I better put this down here. I'll have to come back to church to get it, you know. But that's how self-serving we are as we go throughout our day. We're always thinking, hey, what's the best for me? How am I going to get what I want today? Serve me, people. Take care of me. Meet my needs. You do what I want you to do because it's all about my agenda and my needs. That's the way our sinful nature is. On top of that, the world tells us, hey, that's the way to do it. In other cultures, that's not the case. But in our culture here in the United States, it's saying, hey, serve yourself. And the more you can serve yourself, the more you can be successful, the more... You can have employees under you. The more money you can make, the more status you can achieve, the more people look at you and say, wow, there's something special about you. Well, that's serving me, right? When people say, hey, you're, you're something special. You're serving me. You're encouraging me. Uh, that kind of thing. We're all about that. Because really, we want to be God, right? We want, we want to control everything. We want everybody to serve us. That's the way it is. And that's what the world said. Serve me. And that's what... The disciples were doing. James and John were saying, hey, serve me, Jesus. Take care of us. Give us what we want. Well, let's study on in the passage. 
in verse 22, it says, You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? Very interesting. He, he takes, I, I love the way Jesus interacts with the disciples. He doesn't nail them, typically. He just kind of gets them thinking. He says, you guys don't understand here. Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? Now, what does that mean, a cup? Well, in the Old Testament, that's an idiom for experience, experiencing it all. If you drink the whole cup to the last drop, the idea is, that is what it means to drink the cup, to experience everything I'm going to experience. What Jesus Christ is saying, are you willing to suffer? Are you willing to be persecuted? Are you willing to die? He was asking them that. And what we get from this is they're asking about the most honored places in heaven. So what does that mean? That means if you want to be honored in heaven, what you need to do is suffer. Not just like physical suffering or mental suffering, but you need to suffer because you claim the name of Jesus Christ. That's why you need to suffer. You, you please God when you suffer for His name. So the people who will be most honored in heaven are those people who have been persecuted for their faith. That's what He's saying here. And, and we study throughout Scripture. And we see so many times when it talks about God rewarding us. And the purpose of it isn't so that in our dwelling in heaven we have an ego wall where we have all of our crowns up there where we're polishing them daily and showing them off to our friends. The idea is that we get crowns just to throw them back at Christ. Because heaven is just about glorifying God. That's all it's about. And, and if we're honored in any way, that just reflects right back to God. Nobody's going to be jealous because somebody else got more rewards than somebody else because we're all going to be perfect and like Jesus Christ and... It's just going to be a worship service all the time for Christ. And the point, though, is, is how can I be great in the kingdom? Now, it sounds a little bit selfish, but really, if you ask with the right motive, I mean, if Jesus Christ has transformed my life, if I have the right motive, I want to be great for Him. I want to do the best job I can for Him. And what Jesus Christ says, the ultimate type of love for me, the ultimate way of serving me is to suffer for me. Suffer for me. Now, that doesn't sit real well with us, right? If we have a serve me type of attitude. I mean, who's saying, give me some suffering? Yeah, I want some suffering. Nobody, nobody's saying that, right? Well, that's why we need to have an I'll serve you type of attitude. Now, that's a totally foreign to this world, foreign to our sinful nature. But if we're citizens of the kingdom, we're going to have an I'll serve you type of attitude. I'll serve you, Jesus. I'll show my love to you by suffering for you. And what's so interesting about the disciples is that Jesus Christ so many times told them that He was going to suffer, that He was going to go to the cross. In fact, in Matthew chapter 20, if you look at verses 17 through 19, Jesus Christ lays it out more clearly than any other time in the Gospels. He basically says, okay, guys, this is the, the rundown. Okay, First of all, uh, we're going to Jerusalem. And there I'm going to be betrayed. And after that, I'm going to be flogged. And after that, I'm going to be crucified. And then I'm going to die. I mean, he can't be more straightforward about it. Now, how could they not hear that? How can they not think, now, wait a second, we want to be part of the kingdom. We want to be part of the leadership council. We want to be, you know, the right hand and the left hand sitting there. How can they not hear that Jesus Christ says, I'm going to be crucified. They're going to kill me. Oh, how does that figure in? It's like they don't even listen. And they weren't listening to what Jesus Christ had to say because they, they were listening with filters, all right? And they basically heard everything about the kingdom and how they were going to rule and how it was all going to be about them, that kind of thing. 
But when Jesus Christ ever talked about suffering for him or talked about persecution, those type of things, the fact that he was going to die, they just did not hear it. I don't know about you, but I know many times I have filters on when I'm reading God's Word. And I love the parts about the fact that Jesus loves me. And I love it when I say, okay, I can pray and God's going to meet my needs. And my dad's like a, or my God's like a father to me. And uh, He is going to take care of me financially. And He's going to comfort me. We love that stuff. But when we get to the difficult parts, when we get to the parts that say, hey, you're going to suffer for Jesus Christ. I don't like to read those passages. Or, hey, you need to deal with sin in your life. You need to repent. Oh, that's not very comfortable. And sometimes when we're sitting in a service like this and I'm speaking, teaching or someone else is teaching and the thing about this stuff, you just kind of turn it off. You turn it off until something more pleasant comes along. And I do the same thing. Sometimes when I listen to speakers or read the Word of God. So that's why it's so important. Whenever you're interacting with the Word of God, whether you're reading it, whether you're listening to it, being taught, whatever, you need to say to the Holy Spirit, Lord, open up my heart and open up my mind and help me to listen. Help me to understand what you want to say to me, even though it might be difficult, even though it might be painful, even though it might be a sin in my life. As we put those filters on so easily, and we don't listen to what God is trying to say to us. We need to have an open heart when He is trying uh, to approach us. Second Corinthians 4.17 talks about suffering for Jesus. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Now, the people in Corinth, they were being persecuted. They were part of a very pagan culture, and therefore they were suffering for Christ. And Paul says, these are light and momentary troubles compared to what you're going to experience in heaven and how you'll be honored in heaven for what you've done and how that will glorify God. So, so let me ask you this question. When is the last time you suffered for Jesus Christ? Think about your job. Do uh, you feel kind of, I don't know, like you don't fit at your job. Because if you're a Christ follower and you're living the Christian life at your job, you don't fit. You don't share the same values that people do on your job. You don't use the same language that people do on your job. You don't have the same experiences that people do on your job. You, you just don't fit. You're kind of an oddball. It might be a nice oddball, but you're still an oddball. And people pick up on that. And because of that, they might not, again, be really good friends with you because they feel guilty around you, right? <laughs> the Holy Spirit might be convicting them, and they don't want to hang out with somebody who is really you know, living for God and living in a totally different way. And so that can be tough. I know some of you go to jobs, and you get heat because you're following Jesus Christ. People make fun of you. They talk behind your back. I mean, you think of our culture and how they malign Christ's name and the fun they make of Christians. I mean, show after show after show. I mean, we're the only group of people that you can just, you know, beat to death and nobody's going to, you know, say, oh, they're a minority or something like that. It's kind of like, it doesn't matter. But at the same time, we need to realize that's suffering for Jesus. And really, that's the highest form of service is to suffer for Jesus. So if you're on the job and people are discriminating against you, people are making fun of you, people are just mean, you might not get a promotion, which impacts your income. That, that's painful, right? It's not easy, but it's the highest form of service. God is just he's smiling down on you when you go through those experiences. Or how about your family? I know some of you have gone through such difficult times in your family. Your family... Some of you, your family's rejected you. They've ostracized you because you're a Christ follower. Because you're not what they are anymore. Or they make fun of you. And everybody wants to be loved by their family. But some of you are suffering because your family is not loving you in the proper way. That is persecution by your family. And again... 
God is pleased in the sense that you're suffering in the name of Jesus Christ. Or maybe it's some other situation where you're suffering uh, for the Lord. But this is, this is a topic that's not popular among Christians. It's not something we necessarily want to talk about. We don't want to suffer. But, but this is the way we've got to turn things around. It's not about serving me. It's about serving others. And that's the way that we love God. By serving others. And when we are persecuted for our faith, well, that is even a greater honor to be identified with the wounds of Jesus Christ and the message that He has for this world. So if you're suffering today for Jesus, be encouraged. I know it's not easy, but be encouraged from these verses. Second Corinthians, or excuse me, uh, let's tr- turn to Matthew 20, 22. So they ask a question, you know, can they drink the cup? And they says, oh yeah, we, we can do that. That's no problem. Yeah, we can suffer. And they have no idea what they're talking about. It's just like when you, you go to a buffet and, and your little kid just, you know, just heaps up the food and, and you say, Are you sure you can eat all that? Oh yeah, yeah, I can eat that. You know, <laughs> eat about a quarter of it, right? Uh, or you're you're reading a diet book and and you're sitting at home and you've just had a really great meal, you know, pie and ice cream and things like that, you know, you're fully satiated. Oh yeah, this is no problem, I can do it. You should only read a diet book when you're really hungry. You're really serious, right? <laughs> <laughs> you said, yeah, I guess I'm so hungry right now, but I can do this. <laughs> you know, it, it happens here in our services. You come here, and let's say today, okay, you say, okay, oh, well, i got to be a servant. i got to go home and make it happen. Yeah, this is going to be my focus this week. I can do this. I, I can suffer for Jesus, if nobody's persecuting me, I'll, I'll put, put myself in a situation where I won't be persecuted, you know. You put a plan together. And then in the middle of the week, when you've lost the inspiration, and, and God asks you to serve somebody, what are you talking about? I don't have time for that. Why is that? Because you can't do it. And I can't do it. So when you go home this afternoon, you need to, to stop before you put this improvement plan together, okay? And you say, Lord, you know, I can't do this. I don't have the power to do it. I'm broken. You can do it through me. Jesus, you can live through me. And so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna let you do it. And you guide me, you you show me where to serve, but I'm depending on your power. I'm abiding in you and I'm I'm trusting in you. That's the way the Christian life works. We're so frustrated sometimes because oh I can do that, I can do that. No, you can't. You can't do that, okay? Only God can do that through you. You've got to be dependent upon him. Uh, So we move on to verse 23. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup. Now, what did he mean by that? You will indeed drink from my cup. Well, he was talking about James and John. He says, you guys are going to suffer. We know that James was the first martyr in Acts chapter 12. We know that John wrote the book of John, or the gospel of John, that is, as well as Revelation, because he was exiled to the Isle of Patmos because of his faith. He was persecuted. So they both tasted suffering. They both drank from the cup. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. God's making that call, guys. (laughs) And again, if you want that particular position, you need to be open to suffering. Well, verse 24, when the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. They were angry. Can you just imagine them hearing what had happened, that Mary had gone there, or excuse me, Salome, and, and James and John had confronted Jesus about that? They said, I can't believe it. I can't believe that James and John would be so prideful that they thought that they could get the seats next to Jesus don't they have any humility whatsoever? I am just so grateful to be a disciple of Christ. I need nothing else. Now, <laughs> they were angry because they didn't get to Jesus first. Yeah, they wanted the seats. And, oh, James and John, uh, those guys, uh, they, they manipulated the thing. You know, now they're going to get the seats. And they were all talking about this. And they talked many times about this. 
Uh, it's really quite surprising, but then it isn't when you think about how we operate. Uh, they, they were saying, serve me. I want those spots. It doesn't belong to James and John. They don't deserve it. Well, this is when Jesus got the gang together. Okay. I love Jesus. Uh, he says, okay, we need to get together again and talk about this. Uh, I need to teach you some things. <laughs> Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. So he's talking about the world, the serve me type of orientation, not I'll serve you like we need to have. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. That's the idea of a dictator. We've been hearing a lot about Muammar Gaddafi these days, haven't we? And what's happening in Libya. He was a true dictator. We've known him for many, many years. Yeah, a dictator basically says you're going to do it this way. My way or the highway. And you know what? We can be little dictators sometimes, can't we? If you're in a supervisory role over other people, whether it be in a business or a church or a community organization, sometimes you can act like a dictator. And you say, this is the way it's going to be. And nobody's going to give me any input here. Uh, I know I've done it with my boys. You know, I don't explain my decision. I don't, I mean, I certainly have authority and, and I want to do it in a godly way to direct my family. But I just kind of say, this is the way it's going to be. I don't hear anything from you guys. Okay, that's being a little dictator. You've got to be careful, dads, about that. We can fall into that. Uh, or you can be a dictator again on the job or, or any place. Uh, so we've got to be careful not to be like that. That's a serve-me type of attitude. Do it my way because I said it. Uh, we look back at this verse again, and it says that uh, they exercise authority over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. This has more of a... Uh, hmm, a feel in the original language of manipulating people. Man man manipulating people. For example, those people who have very high verbal skills, good debaters, great at arguments and things like that, they can manipulate uh, uh, people around them, whether it be on the job or, or especially in the home. And guys, I'm a guy, so I think like a guy does you know, I, I have very high verbal skills in this area, and I know early in my marriage, man, I would just, uh, Lori would be trying to tell me her heart, what was going on in her life, and I didn't want to hear it because it was about how I was not meeting her needs. And so I would just make a debate out of it, and I would twist things here and there, and, you know, she'd just be so wound up, and then she'd go quiet. I said, I've won. I've won. She submitted. And I just lost. I lost in a big way. And I tell you what, guys, if you continue to have those series of wins in your mind that really are losses, your wife is just going to withdraw from you. And you're saying, what's wrong? What did I do? Well, you, know, you beat her to death with your words. Okay? We need to be so sensitive with our wives because they'll withdraw from us if we try to verbally manipulate them. Or sometimes people like James and John and and uh, Salome will manipulate situations. They'll get people in the right spots, and they'll think about, okay, how can I be served in this situation? And they'll have this big plan, not necessarily to do a good thing, but just to you know, benefit me personally. They can all fall into that trap, right? Well, this is not how we should act. We should not have a serve-me type of attitude. It should be, I'll serve you. Now, Matthew 20, 26, Jesus Christ says, Not so with you. Not so with you. See, Jesus Christ is saying, You are citizens of the kingdom of God. You are my children. And you don't live out a serve-me type of life. You don't belong to the citizen of the United States. You are a citizen of the kingdom. And I know if you're part of the United States and you live like they do, it's all about serving me and meeting my needs and fulfilling my agenda, but you need to live in a supernatural way. 
And you need to live every day by waking up, Lord, I want, I want to love you by serving other people. And I'm just going to be listening today to how I can do that, how I can serve other people to show love to you. And if I suffer, bring suffering into my life, that'd be an honor. That this kind of attitude, and again, that's, that's really 180 from what we hear every day from our sinful nature as well as from the media and the people around us. That's why it's so hard to do, and it can only be done through God's power. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. That's that idea of becoming great. We become great because we want to please God. We should want to do this. We must be your servant. Your servant. Now, the word servant is diakonos in the Greek language. And back in that day, it wasn't a religious word. Now, today when we think of deacon, we think of church. Now, back in that day, deacon meant somebody who did menial type of jobs. You know, people like house servants who would take care of the yard and take care of the house, fix the meals, those uh, types of things. And 50 different times, we are called to be servants. We're called to do menial things. My dad, uh, I, first of all, I just want to thank you uh, for all your prayers uh, for my father. Uh, they've just been so wonderful and such an encouragement to my wife and my family as well as my brothers. Uh, he had another bad week. Uh, he's fell, fallen twice and brain surgery to remove blood from his brain. And, and this past Monday morning, he had a stroke. And uh, his right side became weaker. And uh, now the question is, can he sustain himself through swallowing food? Or will there be residue in the throat because his muscles aren't strong enough that could lead to aspiration, which is food in the lungs, which leads to pneumonia and death? So we're kind of waiting that one out to see what God will do. And he was adamant about the fact that he did not want artificial support. So we're not going to put a feeding tube in. Uh, we're just going to see what happens. And if he can't eat uh, without the risk of um, having aspiration, uh, we'll just let him eat for comfort food. And if he becomes aspirated, that's God's will. Just let him die naturally. So it's been, you know, a long uh, week in that way. Uh, but I tell you what, uh, God has been good in so many ways uh, to us. And, and the point that I want to make here is that uh, I've been in hospital environments now a lot and nursing home environments and, and it's different I've been there many times as a pastor but this time my loved one is in the hospital or nursing home and, and I tell you nurses uh, CNAs hospital techs we have anybody nurses hospital techs CNAs yeah well, let's give these guys a hand okay oh man they just do a stand-up job unbelievable you know the pressure that's on them uh, caring for all these different people who are sick. You know what it's like to have one sick person around? <laughs> if you have like eight of them that you're in charge of that you have to care for? And, and, and your family's coming in like me, wondering what's going on, and uh, all kinds of things. And it's just such a challenging job. And you know, I was thinking about the CNAs as a certified nursing assistant. Now, they don't make a lot of money, uh, but they provide an incredible service. Uh, you know, I watch the CNAs, you know, put a diaper on my dad, change my dad, uh, feed my dad, bathe my dad, care for my dad, love my dad. And uh, I saying, wow, that's a lot of menial work. Now, I was thinking about that. You know what God has called us to be? He's called us to be the CNAs of this world. He's called us to do the work that nobody else wants to do. He's called us to love people that nobody else wants to love. He's called us to do certain tasks that nobody else wants to do. He's calling us to give our precious time to serve other people when it does nothing to further our me-first agenda. Yeah. That's really different from what the world tells us, right? 
go for the menial job, you know, go for the people who are on the... No, it's totally opposite, isn't it? See, really, you know, I just would challenge you to self-feed on this passage all week long. It is such an intense passage as you unpackage it. But, you know, study it. Go back online and listen to the message again for the information. Uh, all the messages are available there. But really dig into this one, friends, because it's touched my life in a special way as I've studied it uh, deeply. So uh, God wants us to get messy with people. Just like a CNA job is messy when you work with people, people are sometimes challenging. But he wants us to get messy. We need to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ in this world. In fact, we have a special uh, presentation of that song later in the service. We need to be the hands and feet of Jesus. He isn't here, so we need to do that. And Jesus, he was always helping people. He was always serving, serving people. He came here to serve. Matthew 20, 27 says, he goes on in this passage, he first says you need to be a servant. Uh, and then he says, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Now, slaves, they were just property. Chattel, they you know, were sold. You could kill them and nobody would you know, blink an eye. And that's what he's calling us to be. Oh, wow. Uh, listen to what Paul has to say about his experience. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer it kindly. Up to this moment, we have become the scum of the earth, the refuse of the world. Now, <laughs> when we are cursed, we bless. So it's not enough just to suffer and withdraw Jesus Christ is saying, no, you need to suffer and you need to move toward those people who are persecuting you and love them. I was talking with a friend this past week, and she has a supervisor that said she was a Christ follower, went to a church in this area, but for some reason she's drifted from God and she's living a different type of lifestyle. And this supervisor persecutes her. She makes fun of her. She just makes life difficult for her in so many different ways. And I was talking to my friend, and she was telling me about the supervisor, and I said, can't you report her or something like that? And I wasn't even following the passage. <laughs> what does it say? It says, when we are persecuted, report the person. <laughs> I mean, obviously you need to do that in the proper setting and with the right circumstances. But endure it. Bless the person. Be kind to the person. He said, well, I can't do that. You're right, you can't do that. But Jesus could do that through you. Oh, it's tough. It's tough to do this stuff. This just goes against who we are. But that's why Jesus, that's what God's doing. He's transforming us day by day as we work through these things. And then I love the last part. Up to this moment, we have become the scum of the earth, the refuse of the world. Well, that's a daily inspiration, isn't it? <laughs> I'm going to go out there today and be the scum of the earth and the refuse of the world. So I'm going to be garbage. Garbage for God. I like that. Garbage for God. I like that. I just came up with that. Garbage for God. I think we should put that on a big uh, banner out there on Algonquin Road. Come be garbage for God. I get a few calls saying, what are you talking about? Other churches saying, what are you talking about? <laughs> well, it's in 1 Corinthians 4.13, garbage for God. Now, this is a deeper teaching for people who know Jesus Christ, obviously. But, I mean, let's face it. This is the kind of passage we don't want to read. I don't want to be garbage for God, you know. I don't want to be garbage. I want to be new stuff in the store. The only way we can do this, guys, is we've got to humble ourselves before God. And that, that's the biggest barrier to doing this is our pride. Our pride in ourselves and what we've accomplished and what we've done. If you start, you know, or keep on that particular pathway, you're never going to be able to serve other people. You need to realize you're broken. You need to realize you're a sinner. You need to realize that you're saved by grace. You need to realize that only by the grace of God do you go. You know, other people struggle with things. You could be struggling with the same things. Only by the grace of God. Only by His love. In James 4.10 it says, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you 
up. We're always trying to lift ourselves up, right? We're putting our plans together, you know, how can I make more money? How can I get a better job? How can I get this material possession? How can I get this person to respond to me in the right way? We're always strategizing. When when God says, hey, listen, you just relax. Okay, you just humble yourself before me and walk with me. Here's a, a verse you need to put in your uh, memory verse uh, file. Uh, Micah 6, 8. He has showed you, O man, he has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. That's how we should approach every day. Lord, you save me by your grace. I don't deserve any of this. I'm not special in any way. But I'm just so glad that I'm a child of yours. I'm going to walk throughout this day with you, and I'm going to serve others. I'm going to have an I'll-serve-you attitude, and you're going to fill me uh, with the power to do those things. Matthew 20, 28, the last verse in this passage says, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So why did Jesus Christ come to this earth? Was it was it a me first? Did Jesus Christ come down just to do a promotional tour? Did he come to see what life was like with his creatures? No, he came down to serve us. He had a I'll serve you attitude. And to give his life as a ransom for many. This is very, very important here. Ransom. Jesus Christ was a ransom. Now what did that mean? Well, one way uh, it was used back in that day is if they were auctioning off slaves. So you didn't want a slave anymore, so you put them on the auction block and you said, okay, highest bidder. And, and if a person wanted to ransom a slave, if they wanted to buy a slave to free that person, which sometimes they did, that again was called a ransom. I'm going to ransom that slave. I'm going to set them free from their slavery. We look at 1 Peter. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed. Silver and gold. <laughs> That's popular these days. Gold? Gold, gold. You know, cash for gold. <laughs> People are pulling it out of their teeth and finding earrings, looking for gold, you know, because that's the answer to life. No, those are perishable things. You're redeemed from the empty way of life. Same idea of ransom. You were saved from that way of life. And isn't life empty? The older I grow, the more empty life becomes. When you're younger, you know, 20s, you know, early 30s maybe, I don't know how long it lasts for some people, but you think, wow, life is great. This is wonderful. You know, I tell you, so much to live for. And then... You just get hit and hit and hit over life, by life circumstances. And you get to the point where you say, life is empty. Everything that people promised me. I did all the things they said to do, and I'm still empty. I don't know how people in their late 40s, 50s, and 60s continue to live if they don't have Christ. I mean, what's the motivation? I don't know if they're continuing to pursue. What are they pursuing? Because life is empty. They're in denial. I'll tell you that if they're still pursuing something. It's only found in Jesus Christ. But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Not gold, no. But the precious blood of Jesus Christ. You see, here's the situation, guys. You're in God's courtroom. And God says, you have sinned against me. And therefore, I have convicted you. You're going to experience a penalty and that separation from me for eternity. And then Jesus Christ comes walking in. He says, God, I have paid that penalty. And in God's courtroom and His justice system, there's only one way that a person can be freed from the conviction of sin. And that's Jesus Christ's blood. And Jesus Christ walks up. And He says, I've shed my blood for these people. And God says, that satisfies it. That satisfies my justice. And that's the only thing that satisfies. So, friends, if you're here today and, and you're still thinking that you're going to get to heaven by your good works, I ask you if you died tonight and you say, well, I'm a pretty good, would you go to heaven? You say, well, I'm a pretty good person and stuff like that. You still don't understand. 
Because again, you're convicted. The penalty has been meted out by God. And the only way that you can have freedom, the only way that you can be ransomed, the only way that you can be set free, the only person who will pay the price, they've already paid the price, it's Jesus Christ, and He will give you a ransom. If you'll accept it. And that's a, that's a critical issue. If you'll accept it, you need to accept it. It's there for you. You're standing in the courtroom. You're convicted. All you have to do is say, I put my faith in Christ and what He's done for me. In His precious blood. Not because of anything I've done. If you have not made that decision, I challenge you today to make that decision. Drop all of your good works on the courtroom floor because God, He doesn't even like good works in the courtroom. <laughs> you just got nothing. And Jesus comes in. And if you just embrace Jesus and confess your sin and say, Lord, I got nothing and I need you, you'll be a child of God. Please, please make that decision to follow Him. While we go to our next passage in Luke twenty-two twenty-seven, this is really a beautiful illustration of everything we've talked about. It's a Last Supper. You're familiar with it. They've come in off the streets. What would happen typically is you'd have a servant there uh, who would wash their feet. A very menial job. Nobody wanted to do that job. And there was no servant there. What were they going to do? What does Jesus Christ do? He gets up and he starts to wash the disciples' feet. And they are just blown away because he was a rabbi. He was a teacher. He was highly respected. In that culture, that was, you know, serve me. And a rabbi's could have that attitude, like, hey, I'm, I'm big, big stuff here. <laughs> uh, you got to respect me and honor me. And I'm not washing any feet. Well, Jesus Christ, of course, broke all the rules, didn't he? So this is what he asked, some rhetorical questions. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Obviously, the people at the table. I'd much prefer to be at the table than washing feet and bringing food and all that kind of stuff. I don't want to do that. I want to be at the table enjoying the food. So Jesus says, is it not the one who is at the table? He says, that's what the world thinks, right? If you're at the table, that's a sweet spot. Not serving people at the table. But he says, but I am among you as one who serves. And that's a sucker punch right there. But I am among you as the one who serves. He just laser right into the disciples. Even even at the Last Supper, even though Jesus Christ had talked to them about this whole who's going to be at the right hand of Jesus Christ, who's greatest in the kingdom, they were still talking about it at the Last Supper just before Jesus was about to be crucified. How clueless can they be? And how clueless can we be? Because we're still saying, serve me. Even though we've heard this message before. Even though we've read these passages before. We're still saying, serve me. And Jesus says, listen, this is the way you've understood life. Serve me. Serve me. And here I am, this rabbi, this respected teacher. Throngs of people surround me. And I should be saying, serve me. I'm at the top of my game here. And here I am washing your feet. I'm a deacon. I'm a CNA. I'm taking care of you. This was the powerful lesson at the Last Supper. He was saying, this is what it's about, guys. Give up your petty arguments about who is first and start asking, who can I serve first? And that's what we need to do. This is convicting to all of us because we all struggle with this. Where is God speaking to you right now? Is it in your relationship with your spouse? Is that a me first type of attitude? You've been in conflict with them because you've been trying to get what you want? instead of listening to them and what they want? Men especially, I speak to you again. You have I'll serve you type attitude in your marriage? How about with your kids? 
your kids? How are you serving your kids? And the, the most important thing to realize when you're serving is that, you know, I'm okay when I'm serving someone that's on my agenda. Okay, I'm going to serve this person. I've put this half hour aside to serve this person. But when it's not on my agenda, that's a whole different story. Okay? Hey, hey wait a second. This, was, this wasn't part of the plan. This is fast week. There was an errand uh, that uh, Lori and I, we weren't sure about who was supposed to do it. I was pretty sure she was supposed to do it. Okay? But it was like really gray. And I can make my case that it would definitely was her error. I mean, I can state what she said and when she said it. And, those kind of things, you know? and then I thought about my message. <laughs> it's really a drag being a pastor sometimes, you know. And uh, <laughs> so I had just had this confrontation with her and said, no, I, I listed all the facts why she was the one who was supposed to do this errand. And then I stopped. She had gone in the other room. I said, honey, I'll do it. She said, oh, thank you. And I went and did it. I could have complained about how much pressure I was under, which I did earlier. <laughs> i got to be truthful here. <laughs> I had made my case. I had won. She was going to do it. The jury had come back in my mind. <laughs> and I said, wait a second. God's been talking to me lately. And I, I just got to put my agenda aside and serve her. And I had a beautiful time serving her. So where do you need to put your agenda aside? Listen to, listen to God. And then ask Him to fill you with the power to do it. Let's pray. Dear Father, I want to thank you this time we've had to talk about this whole area of service. It's so hard for us, Lord. You know it is. You know, you, you taught the disciples over and over again. And eventually they did get it. That's the good news. As we look at the book of Acts, they were incredible servants. And I pray you continue to, continue to help us to be humble before you. And help us to wake up with an orientation. I'm going to look for who I'm going to serve today even how I might suffer, in order that I might please my Savior. In Christ's name, amen. I figured have our ushers come forward at this time. Hey!